Uh, this particular morning is not like every other morning. This morning, um, two ladies wake up early before sunrise, actually. The Sabbath has just come to an end, um, and the Passover is behind them. They're into the third morning after after an event that, that really, like a shotgun, put a, put a hole in their world. It was an, this explosion uh, this event that left them shell-shocked, um, overwhelmed, consumed with fear even. If you've ever gone through an experience of mourning, there's like um, it's almost like a weight, like a blanket that's kind of hanging over their shoulders. There's a cloud that's over their heads. There's, almost, there's like a deep ache in their gut um, as, they, as they carry the weight of the loss of this person named Jesus. It's not a celebratory morning. It's not an excited morning. It, this this particular morning is is hard and it's heavy. But they have a custom in their tradition, and and the custom is that uh, they need to go and prepare the body. They need to go and uh, take spices, and they need to go take ointment, and they. This is how they honor um, the people who have died, and so they do that they they gather up all their things um, they make their way to the tomb of a man called Joseph of Arimathea and I can imagine them kind of walking silently side by side as the sun starts to rise I can imagine them coming around a corner and up over a hill maybe and there in the distance is uh, the tomb that they just put Jesus in after beating and whipping and blood and tears and after the incredible pain of that kind of loss and I can imagine them looking at each other with a, with a knowing kind of look and then they approach the tomb and as they approach the tomb they look up at and they see something unbelievable because they at the front of the tomb where the, where the stone should have been rolled over the entrance. You see, because just earlier the day before, the second day after the crucifixion, uh, there were a whole bunch of, of the leaders of the religious system who were really concerned that the disciples of Jesus were going to come and try and steal him because they wanted to make sure that the, that the followers of Jesus believed that he had actually risen again. And so on the second day, there were a whole bunch of these leaders who went to the Roman officials and said, we need to have a God outside the tomb. And so these women were possibly going with the expectation of that God with 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 Roman soldiers standing outside the tomb and, and, a, and a stone rolled over its entrance and that stone sealed. That was their expectation, but that was not their experience because as they come close to the tomb, here's what they find, that the stone has been rolled away. I, I didn't even know what's running through their minds. I imagine them dropping their bowls of incense and, um, and spices. I, I imagine them running toward the tomb and and kind of looking inside and maybe hesitantly even so maybe stopping at the entrance maybe taking a deep breath and then and then making their way into the entrance of this tomb and then into the tomb and and there where Jesus lay <laughs> there is nothing no body only only folded up burial garments and then the scriptures tell us, and we get different accounts of this from, from the different stories, but 
that angels appear in the tomb. Angels appear in the tomb. The one account tells us that this angel is like lightning, like a flash of lightning that appears, and he sits uh, on the stone that was rolled away. The other accounts tell us that there were two angels sitting uh, side by side in the place where Jesus should have been laying, and they ask these two women, these two overwhelmed women, a question, and the question resonates with us. It is the question that changes everything, not just for these two women in th- at this particular morning, but for all of us for the rest of time. And the question is very simple. Why do you look for the living among the dead? <laughs> he is not here. He is risen. And that question, it sends ripples through these two women, I can, I can imagine tears forming in their eyes and, and rolling down their cheeks. There's a fear not kind of moment. Don't, don't be afraid. <laughs> I, love, I love how angels always have to say don't be afraid when they pitch up because they're a fearful sight. And then, and then what? These women run. They run back to the disciples. I can, I can imagine them holding up their dresses, running, jumping over, over ditches, running around, tree, just whatever they got to do with passion to come and tell the disciples what they've just seen. Something happens in them. And actually at first, the, the disciples, the men disciples, they, they don't even believe the woman. The account of John tells us that on hearing the news, uh, two people run, Peter and John run to the tomb. And they, they have to see it for themselves. And what do they see? They see what the woman saw. And, and then this Jesus goes on to appear to a whole bunch of people. This moment, this question, this empty tomb, it lies at the center of the Christian faith. This is the day when a question was asked. And this question, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And the reality of that statement, this turned the funeral of all funerals into the party of all parties at this funeral. There was dancing. There was dancing at a funeral, not just dancing, but running and smiling and laughing and singing and disbelief and even a bit of fear and overwhelming emotion because what they thought was an end ended up being just the beginning. And it's that beginning that we're going to talk about today. Who is Jesus? What is he doing? And what does it mean to follow him in the world today? My name is Matt Lewis. This is the Follower Podcast. And everyone is invited to the conversation. So uh, we've just had Easter. I don't know where you celebrated Easter. And I hope it was a fantastic celebration. It, it really is. Um, it, it's, the, it's the central celebration of our gospel story. And and Jesus being the gospel, the reality of uh, his resurrection, um, it blows everything up uh, into our worlds, right? If, and we'll talk about why it's so important this morning. Uh, I'm coming to you from a place in South Africa where uh, my brother, so my older brother, he 
took me and my family away to celebrate my younger brother's birthday. Um, and uh, so we, my younger brother turned 30, by the way. So happy birthday, Shawnee, if you're listening to this. Um, so, so we are in a place called Zabula. I, I don't know how I get to places like this. I'm going to be very honest with you. Yesterday, I was sitting on, on a balcony looking at zebra and wildebeest and buck and all kinds of things just cruising on the fairway of a golf course because that's, you know, because that's where we are. So, <laughs> so there I am. What what a life, hey? What a time to be alive. And so I'm recording a podcast in a car, in my brother's car, in a game reserve, watching the sunrise at the moment. And it is beautiful and orange just over the horizon. So, so um, it is Sunday morning for me right now. The sun is rising on my own Easter experience. And uh, I don't know where you celebrated Easter on your Sunday. Or if you did it all, or maybe as you're listening to this, you're not so sure about this Easter stuff, but uh, um, beyond the, the Easter eggs and the bunny and all the stuff that goes with that. But but really, um, I'm hoping that we can go on a journey this morning that just helps us remember the weight, uh, the celebration, the joy that lies around this day and everything that it means, not not for Christian people, but for all people at all times, everywhere. Because remember, the gospel is not a Christian issue. The gospel is a human issue. And so we are um, here in 1 Corinthians 15. We've been looking at that since last week as a central text. The reason why we went to 1 Corinthians 15 is because um, we said that Jesus is the gospel. And then we said that certain key events in Jesus' life um, kind of bring who he is to the fore, who he is for you and who he is for me, really bring him center stage. And we said that there was this idea called, uh, this thing called the apostolic tradition or uh, the original good news tradition, and that that had been handed down from follower of Jesus to follower of Jesus for years, and that actually the earliest written record that we have of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so Paul is talking and he talks about um, the apostolic tradition that was handed down to him and then this gospel now that he's handing down to the people he's writing to, the church in Corinth, and then by extension to us. And when we go through this gospel, we see a rich Christology. That's the fancy language for it. A, a rich picture of Jesus, an idea that's centered on Jesus, not centered on you, not centered on me. We are not at the center of the story. Jesus is at the center of the gospel story. It's good news because it's about him. And last week we uh, we looked at this idea that, that Jesus died and in his dying, death died, right? And so we don't have to be afraid anymore. But if he had just died, that wouldn't be a very good story. <laughs> and and a lot of us treat Jesus like this, right? I, I have experienced so many times the communication of what I call uh, only a half gospel, where the emphasis is simply that you are a sinner um, and that Jesus died on the cross to take away your sin. And we, could, we just kind of stop there as, as, if, as if Jesus is still on the cross, right? But, but when we read this passage, it goes on to say, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared 
to Caiaphas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last, as to one ultimately born, he appeared also to me. <laughs> See, he's not, he's not in the tomb anymore. Right. I, I love the question that we read at the end of the Gospels, particularly the end of, of the Gospel according to Luke, uh, where the angels ask the woman who go to find Jesus' body and to, to, put, on, um, to put on the spices and the treatment um, for the dead person. I love the question, why, why do you look for the living among the dead? I, I love that. What a question. He is not here. He is risen. Okay. I'm sure if you celebrated Easter, you would have heard what Easter is all about. But if you're not sure what Easter is about from the Christian perspective, let me help you understand. At the heart of our faith, at the heart of the Christian story, is the declaration that, that yes, this Jesus who was a son of God, he died on a cross and in his death, death died but that story keeps going because three days later right at the end of the sabbath experience on the early morning of the first day of the week three days later some women go down to find jesus and his dead body and he is not there because he is alive this is why two thousand years later Christianity still exists. The, this hinge point reality that we don't worship a dead God. We're not following a dead ideology. Uh, Jesus is not simply a philosophy. Jesus is not simply a religion. Jesus is not simply a bunch of practices. A according to the scriptures and at the heart of our belief system is the ridiculous, supernatural, miraculous conviction that this son of God is alive that that he was dead no, he didn't fake death right like we even have uh, the 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 record of um after he was crucified when he was still on the cross and the roman soldiers put a spear in his side and out came the separation of blood and water and and cardiologists and doctors will tell you that that is a sign of death right when the when the blood separates from the water in the sack around the heart that's a sign that the body is dead and so jesus was Dead, like dead, 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 dead. Not, not a little bit dead. He wasn't faking death. He didn't just pass out from the pain, right? He was completely dead. And then he was buried in a tomb. And then a stone was rolled across that tomb. And then a guard of Roman soldiers were placed around the tomb because the Jewish leaders wanted to make sure that, that the disciples of Jesus didn't come and steal his body to try and create a lie that he had in fact risen. And then three days later, the woman go to the tomb and they find it empty because he is alive. And why, why is this such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal? So let's say, Matt, okay, cool. Let's say he's resurrected. Let's say that happened. Why, why should that matter for my life? Well, because if that's true, if it is actually a fact that Jesus rose from the dead, then everything else he said about himself is also true. You see, if it's true that Jesus was born into the earth, 
as a son of God, that, which is what he said about himself, right? And then he lived in this earth for 33-something years and ministered publicly for three of those years and the whole time spoke about how he was doing. And there's this beautiful time when he's standing out of the side of the temple and he looks up at the temple, which is really the symbol of the, of the whole religious system of the people at the time. He looks in at that temple and he says, I'm going to tear this whole thing down and then... In three days, I'm going to re rebuild it in my body. If it's true that, as he said uh, so many times before his own death, that the Son of Man must die in order to fulfill the Scriptures, but then he will be raised again on the third day. And if, in fact, he did raise again on the third day, then he is who he says he is. He did actually tear down the temple and then he did actually rebuild a whole new way to be human in himself three days later. That's why it's so important. That be, be, We see when we only preach half a gospel, when we just make it about a death and some forgiveness of sins, um, then we have the luxury of turning Jesus into whatever we want him to be. And there's so many people who do this, right? There's so many people, even people who would claim to be followers of Jesus, who are still looking for the living among the dead, right? People who are still looking for Jesus in the places of dead religion, dead ideologies, dead philosophies, just ideas about a person, dead traditions, uh, to which they are not attached, into which they're not invested, uh, maybe Maybe they do Easter once a year and Christmas once a year because that's what they've always done, because that's the tradition of their family, and they think that that's what it means to be Christian. But could I, could I tell you that that's looking for the living among the dead? Because, because it doesn't take a living Jesus to, to do that, right? A, a Jesus who stayed dead on the cross, we could still have an Easter egg and an Easter bunny and some religious traditions. Uh, when we minimize Jesus to that kind of manageable ideology, that we are guilty of doing the thing. We're looking for the living among the dead. But the resurrected Jesus, he refuses to be put inside that kind of manageable box. The resurrected Jesus breaks out of the tomb, right? And and there's some people who just like the 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 Jewish leaders of the time, they want to put a guard around this Jesus, right? They, they want to manage him with, with kind of over-rationalized thinking. So, so yes, Jesus can be a wise teacher. Yes, Jesus can, he can bring some good ideas to our life. And he can be one among many, right? As we've said before, he can be one teacher among many. And so we like those religious leaders. We don't like the fact that, if, that this Jesus, if he is who he says he is, he threatens the security of us being able to control everything. He threatens that system. He's, he threatens to dismantle it. He threatens to break it down. He threatens to become a new kind of leader. Right, And so we don't like that. And what do we do? We put a guard around his tomb. <laughs> we want to make sure that he stays dead. Okay, because if he if he really is who he says he is, and if he really has resurrected, well, that means stuff. And so we try and we try and protect ourselves from this resurrected Jesus. But Jesus won't stay in the tomb. He rolls back the stone. He steps off the table. Right. He he walks out, and then he appears. And he doesn't just appear to one person. He appears to a bunch of people. 
at the same time, that in and of itself is a miracle. There's one psychologist that says, if there were like, if there were 500 people, because you know, there's people who say, well, this appearing of Jesus, it was just a hallucination that different people had. And, and the one psychologist uh, writes about this idea that if 500 people or a whole host of people, the, the amount of people that we read about in the scriptures, had all had the same hallucination at the same time, that would have been a greater miracle than the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? And so, so he does rise and he, he is alive and then he walks around and he shows himself to people, there's the one beautiful account where he shows himself to Thomas, right? So the other disciples, he just, he appears among the disciples. I love it that the gospels go to great length to tell us that it's a locked room with closed doors and that Jesus just appears among them and they see Jesus and, but there's one guy who's missing. And so then these disciples tell him, Thomas, they tell him that Jesus had appeared. And then he says, I, I will never believe it. I'll never believe it until I put my hands on his hands and put my hands in the side of Jesus where the scars are. When I do that, then I'll believe. And then a few days later, <laughs> they're meeting again and Jesus just appears again. And he's not afraid of Thomas's question or Thomas's interrogation. He holds out his hand. He lifts up his shirt. He, he makes visible his side and he invites Thomas to touch and feel. And then Thomas does. And then Thomas believes. See, Jesus is alive. And the second we recognize that he's alive, oh man, the funeral becomes a party. There is dancing at a funeral because, you see, the resurrection of Jesus, um, it seals the inauguration of Jesus. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, we know that the cross has a bunch of sides to it. And on one of those sides is the forgiveness of your sin and my sin. And that's such a beautiful miracle and praise God for that. But also the crucifixion of Jesus was the inauguration ceremony of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus is the final word that he is now king over the universe. <laughs> it's in it's in Philippians chapter two, right? If you if you went there, it says that Jesus, being in very nature God, he he set that godness aside, and then he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And then, because of that obedience, the Father raised Jesus up to the highest place and put everything underneath his feet. He he made Jesus have authority over all things. And so now what we see because Jesus is resurrected is that Jesus rules and reigns not just over your life, not just over my life, not just over our world, but he rules and reigns over everything that is seen and unseen. Jesus is king in the highest place. And if he's king, then that means that we have to show up and listen for his instruction. That's why it's so important. See, a resurrected Jesus is not a Jesus that you can control. A resurrected Jesus is not a Jesus who fits into your schedule. A resurrected Jesus is the Jesus who busts open a tomb and walks out of it. And then he calls everyone to follow in the wake of his power. He is the first one to walk out of the grave. And then he leads a host of people out of the grave after him. That's the power of this resurrected 
Jesus. And in his resurrection, he has opened up a whole new way of relating. He has, in fact, turned down, torn down the temple, and he has, in fact, rebuilt it in his own body in just three days. And there is even that passage in Peter where between the time of his crucifixion and the time of his resurrection, he actually, he is buried and his in his burial, he goes down to be to the place of the dead. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really understand everything that's going on here. As soon as we start talking about a resurrected son of God, things get weird. But there he is, and it says that he declares the good news of this gospel to those who are dead. And I link that to this idea in Revelation chapter 1, where Jesus appears to John in this vision. And he touches John and he says, don't worry, I am holding the keys of life. It's almost like Jesus did one massive cosmic prison break, where... (laughs) Everyone who had been under the weight of death was now liberated. In other words, the whole way is open, friends. Okay, If you are wondering, can I get to God? If you are wondering, uh, how do I have a relationship with God? No, I'm possibly too bad. I've, I've done too much. God doesn't understand. Surely the power of God couldn't reach me here. Listen, if the power of God can reach the dead Jesus in a dead tomb and resurrect God out of that tomb so that he walks into a new fullness of life, then the power of God can reach you. The Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be alive inside of you. If this is true, if Easter Sunday is truly a celebration of a time when a funeral turned into a party, when the funeral of all funerals turned into the party of all parties, if there really is dancing at this funeral, then what that means is that there's dancing at this funeral for everyone, for the person who feels like they are furthest away, for the person who feels like they are unreachable by God, this resurrection power means that everyone is invited to the party. Everyone can put on their dancing shoes. Every, <laughs> everyone, no matter what funeral you feel like you're a part of today, everyone, everyone, everyone can start dancing because his resurrection life is resurrection life for all people. But that kind of life is only found when we stop looking for the living among the dead. When we stop trying to put a guard around the tomb of Jesus and keep him locked up all safe and secure in a way that we can control him. The only kind of Jesus who can truly save you is the resurrected kind. And if he is resurrected, then he is king. And if he is king, then our job is obedience. Our job is to look to him and say, how would you have us live this life now? And then to follow suit as he leads us in a procession from death to life, from a funeral to a party, from mourning to dancing, from ashes to beauty, right? As he walks out of a tomb, so we walk out of a tomb. But the only one who can bring us out of our tombs is the King Jesus, the one who was raised to the highest place, the one who defeated death itself. He's the only one who has an answer to the question you're asking. 
a solution to the issue that you're dealing with, to the prob, to the human problem, the the problem of brokenness and mess and sin, the consequence of death from our dislocated natures. The only one who has a healing balm for that pain is the resurrected Jesus, not the ideological Jesus or the philosophical Jesus or even the religious Jesus, not the little statue Jesus who who sits on the dashboard of your car or the little or the Jesus who hangs above the fireplace in the frame of a picture, not the Jesus that you can control, not the Jesus who's still stuck in a tomb somewhere, but the one who isn't to be found among the dead, the one who has been raised up and given king status, rulership and authority over all things, including you and including me. If you want his resurrection life, you have to acknowledge his resurrection power. If you want to walk out of a tomb, then you've got to call him king. Because that is exactly what he is. (laughs) How wonderful. How wonderful for us. As people searching for truth. That we don't have to settle for some kind of dead religion or ideology. How wonderful for us. That today, um, on Easter Sunday... And if you're listening to this on Monday, it's as true on Monday as it is on Sunday. And that is the miracle of this whole gospel story. That it's not bound up in one little place, but it explodes into all of your reality. How wonderful for us that what we find in Jesus is not a dead religion, but a living Savior, a living King who rules and reigns and has power and authority and has an answer to the question and who can do something about your situation and who can step into the real issues of our time that we're facing, who has something to offer us because he's not an idle statue. He is a living God seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all of us. He walked out of the tomb. He shook off death. He's the first person ever in history to look death in the eye and just say, um, no, <laughs> no, I, I, I won't stay dead, death. In fact, I've used you. I've used you as a vehicle for redemption. I'm turning this funeral into a party. We're going to start dancing. How wonderful. How wonderful for you. How wonderful for me. What a miracle we celebrate in Easter. And I would just encourage you to really think about that thing. Really think about the the miraculous nature of a resurrected Jesus and what that means for your life. Can I explain it? Absolutely not. Honestly, I I don't understand it. Um, Are there questions around it? Yes, there are. And perhaps in another episode, we can talk about the proofs of the resurrection and all of those things exist. And we, you know, there's a lot of ways we can wrap our heads around some of this stuff. But this morning, I I didn't want to go there. I just wanted to sit and be amazed with you. I just wanted us to consider that. Maybe get in the minds of those first women who ran to that tomb and found it empty and, and let it blow up in your heart. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is alive. And this living God, man, he meets you in your pain. He meets you in your worry. He meets you in your anxieties. He meets us as a nation 
He meets us as a planet. He meets us as a humanity with resurrection power. He has something to offer. And as we follow him out of the tomb, we find our own lives. And those lives, man, they come with a purpose. Because uh, the heaven that Jesus rules and reigns over, well, he, he's bringing it out of the tomb with him. In fact, heaven, in the resurrection of Jesus, heaven crashes into our worlds. And we, as people who follow Jesus out of that tomb, we enter into a whole new purpose. But more of that next week. This week, man, can I encourage you, just be amazed. Stand in awe. Step inside the tomb. See where he should have been lying and recognize that nobody's there. Stop looking for the living among the dead. If you need to, put your hands on the scars of his hands and touch the scars of his side. Invite the power of the Holy Spirit to show you the realness of this resurrected Jesus. And this week, let the miracle of that power blow up in your world as you recognize that you're not following a dead religion or some kind of abstract ideology. These are not just ideas. Our God is alive. Our Jesus, he's king. And we have a job to do.